Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. So we come to the end of our sojourn aboard the Godspeed. I am not ashamed to say that I like this story a lot. The ending, which you are about to hear, is, I think, one of my best. But don't just take my word for it. When I sent this to Robert Silberberg for the anthology Between Worlds, which it was commissioned for, he wrote back to say that he thought it had a perfect trapdoor ending. However, The Wreck of the Godspeed was rather a disappointment to me when it was first published, if only because I had not realized that the anthology in which it appeared was to be a special production of the Science Fiction Book Club, and thus had a very limited audience. In fact, it never appeared in a bookstore, to the best of my knowledge. The Wreck of the Godspeed was also the title story of my most recent short story collection, but since that was published by a small press, it too was not as widely available as I would have liked. And now Adel and his friends live on the internets and are free to find whatever audience they can. So here is part eight, the last part of The Wreck of the Godspeed. The never-ending day. Adel was impressed with how easy it was being dead. The things that had bothered him when he was alive, like being hungry or horny, worrying about whether his friends really liked him, or what he was going to be if he ever grew up, none of that mattered. Who cared that he had never learned the first law of thermodynamics, or that he had blown the final turn in the most important race of his life? Appetite was an illusion. Life was pleasant, but then so were movies. The others felt the same way. Mary couldn't feel her broken arm, and John Mann didn't mind at all that he was dying, although he did miss Rob Mann. Adol felt frustrated at first that he couldn't rouse Camilla, but she was as perfect unconscious as she was when she was awake. Besides, Upward predicted that she would get bored eventually being alone with herself. It wasn't true that nobody changed after they were dead, he explained. It was just that change came very slowly, and was always profound. Adel had been surprised to meet Upwood Marcin in Speedy's pocket afterlife, but his being there made sense. And, of course, Adel had guessed that Sister Li Hong Rain would be dead there, too. As it turned out, she had been dead many times over the seven years of her pilgrimage. Speedy had created a virtual space in her memory that was almost identical to the actual Godspeed. Of course, Speedy was as real as any of them, which is to say, not very real at all. Sister urged the newcomers to follow shipboard routine whenever possible. It would make the transition back to life that much easier. Upwood graciously moved out of the ranch so that Adel could have his old room back. Speedy and the pilgrims gathered in the Ophiuchi, 
or the Chillingsworth at mealtimes, and although they did not eat, they did chatter. They even propped Kamila on a chair to include her in the group. Speedy made a point of talking to her at least once at every meal. She would spin theories about the eating man on Kamila's medallion, or propose eye-jack performances Kamila might try on them. She also lobbied the group to mount the Tempest, but Jarek would have no part in it. Of all of them, he seemed the most impatient with death. Instead, they played billiards and cards. Adel let John Mann teach him Tikra, and didn't mind at all when he cheated. Mary read to them, and Jarek played the Ruan and sang. Adel visited the VR room but once. The sim made him feel gauzy and extenuated. He did swim two thousand meters a day in the lap pool, which, although physically disappointing, was a demanding mental challenge. Once he and Jarek and Mary climbed into bed together, but nothing very interesting happened. They all laughed about it afterward. Adel was asleep in his own bed, remembering a dream he'd had when he was alive. He was lost in a forest where people grew instead of trees. He stumbled past shrubby little kids and great towering grown-ups like his parents and Uncle Derwin. He knew he had to keep walking, because if he stopped he would grow roots and raise his arms up to the sun like the other tree people. But he was tired, so very tired. Adel! Kamila shook him roughly. Can you hear that? Adel! At first he thought she must be part of his dream. She's better. Kamila! Kamila, you're awake. Listen. She put her forefinger to her lips and twisted her head, trying to pinpoint the sound. No, it's gone. I thought they were calling sister. This is wonderful! He reached to embrace her, but she slid away from him. When did you wake up? Just now. I was in my room, in bed, and I heard singing. She scowled. What's going on, Adel? The last thing I remember was you telling Speedy you knew we were decelerating. This all feels very wrong to me. You don't remember the Praz. Her expression was grim. Tell me everything. Adel was still groggy, so the story tumbled out in a hodgepodge of the collision and the Praz and the protocols and Rob Man and the explosion and the blood and the life support breach and Speedy scanning them into memory and Sister and swimming and Tikra and Upwood. Upwood is here? Upwood? Oh, yes. He is? Is he? As Adel considered the question, his certainty began to crumble. I mean, he was. He gave me his room. But I haven't seen him in a while. How long? Adel frowned. I don't know. How long have we been here, you and I and the others? Adel shook his head. God's Adel. She reached out tentatively and touched his arm, but of course he didn't feel a thing. Kamila gazed at her own hand in horror, as if it had betrayed her. Let's find Jarek. Kamila led them down the tulip stairs, past the blue and dagger salons, through the well-met arena, 
to the Clark airlock. The singing was hushed, but so ethereal here that even Jarek and Adel, whose senses had atrophied, could feel it. Sister waited for them just inside the outer door of the airlock. Although Adel knew it must be her, he didn't recognize her at first. She was naked, and her skin was so pale that it was translucent. He could see her heart beating and the dark blood pulsing through her veins, the shiny bundles of muscles sliding over each other as she moved, and the skull grinning at him beneath her face. Her thin hair had gone white. It danced around her head as if she were falling. Beautiful. Exquisite. I'm glad you're here. She smiled at them. Adel. Camilla. Jarek. She nodded at each of them in turn. My witnesses. Sister, said Camilla, come away from there. Sister placed her hand on the door, and it vanished. Kamila staggered back and grabbed at the inner door as if she expected to be expelled from the airlock in a great outrush of air. But Adel knew it wouldn't happen. Kamila still didn't understand the way things worked here. They gazed out at a star field, much like the one that Adel had seen when he first stepped out onto the surface of the Godspeed. Except now there was no surface. Only stars. Kamila, said Sister, you started last and have the farthest to travel. Jarek, you still have doubts. But Adel already knows that the self is a box he has squeezed himself into. Yes. Right. She stepped backwards out of the airlock and was suspended against the stars. Kamila, she said, trust us, and some day you will be perfect. The singing enfolded her, and she began to glow in its embrace. The brighter she burned, the more she seemed to recede from them, becoming steadily hotter and more concentrated, until Adel couldn't tell her from one of the stars. He wasn't sure, but he thought she was a blue dwarf. Close the airlock, Adel. Speedy strolled into the locker room wearing her golden uniform coat and white sash. It's too much of a distraction. What is this, Speedy? Jarek's face was ashen. You said you would send us back. Adel approached the door cautiously. He wasn't ready to follow Sister to the stars quite yet. But I did send you back, she said. Then who are we? Copies. Adel jabbed at the control panel and jumped back as the airlock door reappeared. I think we must be backups. Kamila was seething. You kept copies of us to play with? Her fists were clenched. Adel was bemused. They were dead. Who did she think she was going to fight? It's not what you think, Speedy smiled. Let's go up to the blue salon. We should bring John, Man, and Mary into this conversation, too. She made ushering motions toward the well-met, and Adel and Jarek turned to leave. Good idea. Let's go. No, 
Let's not. With two quick strides, Kamila gained the doorway and blocked their passage. If Mary wants to know what's going on, then she can damn well ask. Ah, Kamila, my Ijack insists on the truth. She shrugged and settled onto one of the benches in the locker room. This is always such a difficult moment. Just tell it, said Kamila. The Praz ship expired about three days after the attack. In the confusion of the moment, I thought it was my backside engine that exploded. Actually, it was the sentry's drive. Once its batteries were exhausted, both the sentry ship and its remote ceased all function. I immediately transmitted all of you to your various home worlds, and then disabled my transmitter and deleted all my navigation files. The continuum is safe, for now. If the Praz come looking, there are further actions I can take. And what about us? said Kamila. How do we get home? As I said, you are home, Kamila. Your injuries were severe, but certainly not fatal. Your prognosis was for a complete recovery. Right. Makes sense. Not that one, said Kamila. This one! She tapped her chest angrily. Me! How do I get home? But, Kamila! Speedy swept an arm expansively, taking in the airlock, and lockers, and Wellmet, and the Ophiuchi, and Jarek, and Adel. This is your home. The first pilgrim from the Godspeed lost during a transmit was Io Walls. We can't say for certain whether she suffered a flawed scan or something interfered with her signal, but when the Masta on Rontaw assembled her, her heart and lungs were outside her body cavity. This was 392 years into the mission. By then, the captain had long since given way to Speedy. The Godspeed was devastated by Io's death. Some might say it unbalanced her, although we would certainly disagree. But this was when she began to compartmentalize behaviors, sealing them off from the scrutiny of the continuum, and indeed from most of her conscious self. She stored backups of every scan she made in her first compartment. For sixty-seven years, she deleted each of them as soon as she received word of a successful transmit. Then the gong Asanda died when a tech working on Loki improperly recalibrated the Masta. Only then did the Godspeed understand the terrible price she would pay for compartmentalization. Because she had been keeping the backups a secret, not only from the continuum, but also, to a large extent, from herself, she had never thought through how she might make use of them. It was immediately clear to her that if she resent Nagong, Tex would start arriving on her transport stage within the hour to fix her. The Godspeed had no intention of being fixed. But what to do with Nagong's scan? She created a new compartment, a simulation of her architecture into which she released Nagong. Nagong did not flourish in the simulation, however. She was depressed and withdrawn whenever the Godspeed visited. Her next scan, Keech Soros, 
arrived safely on Butler's planet. But Speedy loaded his backup into the simulation with Nagong. Within the year, she was loading all her backups into the sim. But, as Upwood Marcine would point out some seven centuries later, dead people change, and the change is always profound and immaterial. In less than a year after the sim was created, Nagong, Keech, and Zampa Stackpole stepped out of the airlock together into a new compartment, one that, against all reason, transcends the boundaries of the Godspeed, the Milky Way, and space-time itself. So then, what do we know about Adel Ranger Santos? Nothing at all. Once we transmitted him back to Harvest, he passed from our awareness. He may have lived a long, happy life, or a short, painful one. His fate does not concern us. But what do we know about Adel Ranger Santos? Only what we know about Upwood Marcine, Kalima Raunda, Jarek Onksen, Marygood Auburn, Canada, Lee Hong Rain, and John Manhot Schillaber, which is everything, of course. For they followed Nagong and Keech and Zampa and some 40,000 other pilgrims through the airlock to become us. And we are they. The critic John Clute, who I think is one of the most astute reviewers working today, wrote a review of The Wreck of the Godspeed, my short story collection, and The Wreck of the Godspeed, the story you have just heard, in 2008. He made an observation about my work in general that, I have to confess, took me by surprise. He wrote, Kelly clearly does not like to kill his protagonists, totally unlike James Tiptree, Jr., with whom he shares a fiery economy of means, as well as a refusal to allow an easy escape from prison. But it is sometimes hard or inappropriate to end a story without allowing its bearer some sort of escape, even death. But a bearer who cannot escape is a bearer caught in place. He goes on to write of the story in particular. The Wreck of the Godspeed is an artful homage to Arthur C. Clarke slash Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. The young protagonist finds himself matter-transported from his home planet, where he has disgraced himself, onto a distant exploration ship whose captain, an A.I., who manifests only in fetch guise and who keeps intimate tabs on every human being aboard, is becoming unstable. 
All this is explained to young Adel during an extravehicular stroll, helmet to helmet. Within pages, in a superb mid-passage narrative coup, the ship is attacked by a berserker whose motives the captain, not having read Fred Saberhagen or his dozens of followers, has profoundly misunderstood. Chaos looms, but nobody in the end really dies. As always, Kelly is very, very averse to the imposition of anything like permanent death upon his guys and gals. And a hemi-demi-stapledonian transcendence slingshots the tail into goshes of ether. Goshes of ether? I guess I kind of like that. In any event, I took John's critique to heart. And once I had considered his review, I went on what could only be called a killing spree. And so, if any of your favorite characters in some of my latest stories fail to survive the plot, feel free to send an email to John Clute informing him that his critique was heard and understood. I have no idea what the next offering will be here, but rest assured that there will be something on the Free Reads podcast. <laughs>